you would remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, and starting at verse 13 this morning and going through verse 34. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 34. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Hear now the word of the Lord. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouses nor barns, and yet God's feed them. God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil or spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with treasures in heaven that do not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord remains forever. You may be seated. As you do, please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Well, I'll be honest, our passage this morning is not a complicated one. Um, Jesus is saying some pretty clear things to us. 
he's basically telling us to avoid two things. Uh, to avoid greed, all sorts of covetousness, and he's telling us not to worry. And instead of doing these things, what we should be doing is seeking first his kingdom. That is what is truly important. And we know these things, right? We know these things. But we need to be constantly reminded of the truth of the gospel. You know, one of the reasons is is that we've lost perspective. So, you know, perspective is a funny thing. Uh, When I was growing up in Chicago, uh, obviously the winters were cold. Uh, We would get snow, uh, usually, you know, several inches, several feet sometimes. Uh, When it was uh, summer turning into fall, it would get to 50 degrees, and suddenly you felt cold. It was time to get out the jeans and the long sleeve shirts, you know, sweatshirts. Gets down to 40, 45 degrees, you know, you wear your jackets. Um, but the funny thing is about this perspective is that after a long winter when, you know, it's zero degrees, there's snow on the ground, and it starts to get to spring, suddenly 45 degrees doesn't seem so cold anymore. And at that point, you want to go outside in your shorts and your t-shirt. The perspective is, this is warm. Um, that's what perspective does. Uh, it changes our outlook on, on things. Um, Jesus is constantly changing people's perspective. Um, throughout his whole ministry, he is reorienting the way that people think about life. Because after the fall, we lost perspective. After the fall, everything changed, including our perception on the world. No longer did human beings see God as the center. Instead, we shifted our focus and we put everything else but God at the center, most likely ourselves. Paul tells us in Romans 1, verses 22 through 25, he says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because of this, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshipped and served the creature rather than creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. We lost perspective. We lost the truth about God. And it continues to today. We've lost perspective because of our sin. Uh, Try to teach that God created the world in six days in a public school today. You can't do it. Instead, our culture has bought into the lie that, um, that our highly organized, perfectly functioning world has all come about through an impossible chain of random events over billions of years. We've lost perspective. As we look at our passage this morning, we see Christ's perspective on the world, the true perspective. This perspective that God not only is the creator of the world, but he is one that is the sovereign sustainer of it. That all of life is from him and for him. In fact, all of life is about him. So because our loving and caring God has created life 
to be about him and not about us, we should seek first his kingdom and trust God to provide what we need. Simple words, easier said than done. So, first of all, God's world reveals God's care and his provision. So Jesus, in this parable and in this teaching of his disciples, he reveals his perspective to us. And it's the proper perspective because it comes from Christ. So what, what do we see here? We see that this man comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus to be a judge in an inheritance dispute. Uh, I picture him yelling out from the, from the crowd, Hey, Jesus, can you do this? Judge between us. Make, uh, make my brother give me more of the inheritance. Uh, Jesus doesn't want to get involved as the judge. He says, who made me judge and arbiter over you? Well, the funny thing, we know that Jesus is the judge and the arbiter. He is. But he does not want to get bogged down with these things that will take away from his mission. This is not why he has come. um, Because imagine if he had settled this dispute. Then what would people be doing? Coming to him with all sorts of things uh, that they would want judged. So he instead responds with a parable. And he teaches uh, those people and uh, his disciples uh, about the proper perspective. And he uses this uh, to tell the truth about our covetousness and our greed. So he responds with a parable that exposes the man's heart. And uh, this is the parable of the rich fool. So what happens is that this, this man... Uh, he has a farm, he has a field, and it produces abundantly. He, he realizes that he needs to do something with this excess that he has. So he talks to himself, and he decides within himself that he's going to build more barns. And he's going to store it up, he's going to eat, drink, and be merry. Um, but God calls him a fool. And he says, tonight your life is going to be required of you. And he isn't able to enjoy Uh, the life that he thought he had planned for himself. The man's problem uh, that we see here this morning is greed. When this man from the crowd is asking Jesus to decide on this, um, he is asking from a, a, a point of greed, from a point of covetousness, and Jesus exposes this. And following the parable, he takes the time to teach his disciples how to deal with the worry and the anxiety that comes from living a greed-free life. So let's look at this perspective that Jesus has on the world that is revealed in this parable. So the parable shows us that everything that we have is from God. The rich fool, he has a field and it produces a bumper crop. Why? It's not because this man is a tremendous farmer. The reason that he has an abundance is because God did it. He provided the abundance. But the rich fool didn't see it that way. He didn't give thanks to God for the harvest. Instead, he patted himself on the back. If you look at this passage, notice how many times you see the word I or my. Um, We see it uh, a a number of times uh, throughout this parable. Uh, He even talks to himself in the third person. So talk about being self-centered. So instead of giving thanks to God, he builds bigger barns, and he feels like he's set for the rest of his life. 
But then that very night, God requires the man's life from him. And when God requires the life of this rich fool, it reveals to us that everything that we have is from God. So God requires the life of the rich fool, and it teaches us that everything that we have is from God. Uh, this word requires that is here, it, it's a Greek term, it's, it's a banking term. What God is doing here is he is calling in a loan. He is requiring the payment back from this man. The loan has been called on this man's very soul. Teaches us that everything that we have, including our very soul, is on loan to us from God. Everything that we have is His. And He can call in the loan any time that He would like. So what Jesus is showing us here is that He is telling us to hold everything that we have, including our very life, with open hands. They're not ours. If God chooses to bless us with material possessions, we need to approach what we have in this way. That He has given us these things for the advancement of His kingdom to be used for His glory. Usually that means that we are called to, to give things away, which we will talk about in a little bit. Or God means it for us to share it with others. So we can ask ourselves this very practical question. The things that we have, are we willing to lend those to other people? We have a neighbor who is very willing to lend us his equipment. Uh, he has a very, very nice riding lawnmower. It's one of those zero-turn ones. Uh, sometimes I kind of like it when our mower breaks down because then I get to ask him to borrow his nice mower. And he is always more than willing uh, to let us borrow that, uh, his tractor, um, well, he drives the tractor. He, he, he lets us use him on the tractor. Um, but um, he is just very generous with the things that God has given to him. But it goes beyond just lawn equipment or a shovel or something like that. How about our cars, our houses? Are we willing to lend these to other people? Are we holding these with open hands? When we care more about our possessions than we do about other people, then we are laying up treasures for ourselves and we are not rich towards God, which is what God is, which is what Jesus is calling this man out in our passage this morning. This is exactly what Jesus is warning us against. As I was reading this, uh, one of the things that came to me uh, was not my baseball glove, even though I shared that with the children this morning. Um, one of the things that is a source of pride in the pastorate uh, is our libraries. Uh, if you go into a pastor's study, one of the things that you'll usually notice is their library. Uh, it, it's very typical that pastors love books. Um, we love to read books, typically, but we also just like to collect books as well. Um, every book that's on my bookshelf, I have not read. Um, I love, would love to read them someday. Um, but I haven't read all of them. Uh, there's probably some books in there that I shouldn't have anymore, as my wife reminds me of. Uh, we have this deal now that if I get a new book, one of them has to go. And that's, that's a good thing, because there's a lot in there that I don't need. Um, but I realized, am I holding that, that source of pride? Am I holding that with open hands? 
or am I keeping that to myself? So I want to offer to you, uh, those of you who didn't know that I have an extensive book collection downstairs, I do. If you want to borrow a book, awesome. Uh, if you don't return it, that's okay. Um, that is fine. Uh, part of my job is to read, and honestly, I'm getting new books all the time. So if you want to come check out to see what I have downstairs and borrow one, awesome. Please come. It is yours. Let me share that with you. Um, I would, it would honestly be my pleasure. Um, because honestly, I don't want that to be a source of my pride. Because that can easily become so. So because God has ordered the world in such a way that life is about the kingdom of God, that everything that we have is His, that is from Him and not our own, Jesus calls His disciples to seek first the kingdom of God. You know, this was the problem of the rich fool. He wasn't seeking first the kingdom of God. Instead, he was seeking his own kingdom. He was greedy and he was selfish towards his own possessions. He thought that his problem was, where am I going to keep all this stuff? But in reality, his problem was, how could he possibly give all this stuff away? That was his real problem. If you were an outsider and were to read this parable and then take a look around at our culture, you would probably say that we are a culture of rich fools. Have you noticed the number of self-storage places that we have around? Have you noticed that? Um, one just went up recently on Keel, that old... Um, grocery store. I don't know what it was. Uh, was it a Kroger or near a Harvest Food? It's now a, a huge self-storage place. And there's one literally right across the street from us. Uh, this is what we do. We have so much stuff that we need to pay someone else to hold our stuff for us. Now, I know that there are some times when self-storage is necessary and needed, that's, and that's fine. But the number of places that we have around, obviously this is a uh, this is a successful business. Um, imagine the amount of stuff that is held in these things. Are we a culture of rich fools? Are we seeking our own kingdom through our possessions? Jesus tells us, and he, well, he tells his disciples to seek first the kingdom of God. He says, seek to be rich spiritually more than physically rich. And what does it mean to be spiritually rich? To be rich spiritually means that you know the love that God has for you. That you live your life in the freedom of being set free from all condemnation and guilt that your sins could place on you. Being spiritually rich means that you live your life with hope knowing that God makes good on His promises. It means that you know the truth about God. It means that you are filled with the Holy Spirit and exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. That you are filled with things like love, joy, and peace. That you have patience, kindness, and goodness. That your faithfulness and gentleness and self-control flow out of you. In order to be rich spiritually and to seek God's kingdom, 
we need to rid ourselves of the things that distract us from doing this. We need to rid ourselves of the things that become idols in our hearts, competing for our hearts' affections. So Jesus tells his disciples to give away their possessions and to give to the poor. This is where it gets hard. This is where it gets hard. He doesn't say, give away what you don't need. He doesn't say, give away your excess, your abundance. He doesn't say, give away the things that you have in that self-storage. Jesus makes no qualifications here. None. He simply says, give away your possessions and give to the needy. Now, obviously, possessions aren't in themselves intrinsically evil. That's not what Scripture teaches. That's not what Jesus is saying here. You can still be a Christian and have a house and a car and a cell phone. The whole of Scripture doesn't condemn this. But as J.C. Ryle once said, uh, the more acres a man has, the more cares. The things that we have will distract us. They do. It's like what Paul says about marriage in 1 Corinthians 7. Is marriage a good thing? Absolutely. Marriage is a great thing. But what does he say? He says that it's better for people to remain single like he was. He points out the obvious, that when we get married, our interests become divided. That is true. We become concerned with our spouse and with our marriage, and rightly so. We need to be. But Paul didn't have the concerns that came with marriage. Not being married allowed him to travel freely on his missionary journeys. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't be a Christian and be married at the same time. That's not true. Uh, Of course not. But we need to understand the realities that come with being married. The same is true with our possessions. They divide our interests and create anxiety in our lives. This is the reality. So we need to ask ourselves the question, are they worth it? Are they worth it? You know, we're at a place in in our church right now that we're making some big decisions about the property that God has blessed us with. You know, parking is scarce. What do we do to solve that problem? Uh, We're filling up our sanctuary. Uh, Are there changes that we need to make to our physical building? Um, We need to be asking ourselves, are we using our finances here to build an earthly kingdom or a heavenly one? And I ask that you would pray for the leaders of this church as we make those decisions regarding our building. Because we do not want to build up our treasures here on earth. We want to be good stewards of what God has given us, but we want to have the proper perspective. Please pray for us in those decisions. Individually, God has blessed us so richly, has He not? So richly. We have what we need, and most likely we have way more than what we could possibly ask or imagine. So Jesus says to give away our possessions. You know, in our, uh, we have a new format to our bulletin. Hopefully you've appreciated that. Heath has put a lot of time and effort into it, and I love it. Um, I hope that you guys do as well. Um, One of the reasons that we have gone to this format 
is that we would love for you to take the bulletin home with you, to look at it throughout the week. Um, the, the confessions that we have in here and the assurance doesn't have to be just on a Sunday morning. You can read that with your family on a, on a Wednesday evening, uh, on, a, on a Friday. Um, the, the songs that we sing, the, the music is printed in there. You can use it for, for devotions with your family. Uh, you may not be the greatest of singers, and that's fine. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Um, but what we've also provided in there um, is the scripture passage for you to access that throughout the rest of the week. And also some things to consider, um, some questions to be thinking about uh, throughout the week. And uh, the last question there, I, I mentioned this to the children, that there's going to be a challenge. Um, the last question there says, as a family, take inventory of your possessions. Is there anything that you can give away? Is there anything that you can sell in order to help those in need? Parents, take the lead, and it will be easier. It will be easier for your children to follow. So, um, honestly, occasionally we go through uh, the, the, the toys that our children have, and if we don't need them anymore, um, my wife is really good about this, and, and she, uh, we, we send them off to Goodwill. Um, the kids don't always like it, <laughs> but, um, but, but that's what we do, because we don't want to have an abundance of possessions. And I, and I hope you don't think that, that we are, you know, following this perfectly, because we have more than we, ha- well, than we need. We honestly do. Uh, and this was very convicting of me, uh, for me, this past week. Um, it's easy for us to do that with our children's things, but what about our own? Um, like I mentioned, my book collection, could I whittle that down? You know, and I could. And I may just have to spend some time this week doing that. Um, I don't need all the books that I have. Uh, the possessions that we have at home. Uh, the challenge is, uh, are we holding our possessions with closed fists? Or are we willing to open up our hands and give them to the Lord? So if taking an inventory of our possessions is challenging, here's one that's even more challenging. You know that Christmas is coming up. And you know what Christmas brings every year. The presents. Um, We say that Christmas is about Christ, but do we really believe it? We say that we want to keep Christ in Christmas every year and help us to keep focused on the real meaning of Christmas, but are we willing to put our money where our mouth is, so to speak? Uh, There's a a Christian blogger and author by the name of Ann Voskamp. Some of you may have read some of her stuff. Uh, There's one thing that they do together as a family that I was was just... I was just blown away by it. For, I think it is over the last decade, there have been no presents underneath their tree. No presents. Um, instead, what they do is um, they get presents for their birthdays and things like that, but they try their hardest to make sure that Christ is the center of their Christmas celebration. And they give things away. Um, I, I just feel like that's beautiful. Um, I hesitate to even bring that up because that's convicting for me and for my family. But Jesus' words to us are very challenging. And we need to take the challenge seriously. We need to wrestle with the gravity of what he is saying. He is not making qualifications. He is saying, give away your possessions. 
So as we conclude this morning, Jesus is telling his disciples, do not worry. Because with the teaching about the rich fool and about seeking first the the, the kingdom of God, Jesus obviously anticipates the question. So if I give away all my possessions, if I do that, if I seek to have treasures in heaven rather than treasures on earth, if I truly do this, Jesus, how can I be sure that I will have everything that I need? How can I know that? And so Jesus says here, do not worry. Do not be anxious. Now, it's interesting what he says here. He actually gives this as a command. He says the command, do not worry. And when you think of the, the Ten Commandments, I, think it, I feel like it's easier to do things like do not steal or to do not lie or do not kill. Um, yes, Jesus tells us it obviously goes deeper than, than, than just the outward. It goes to the heart. But when you get to something like do not covet, like, that just seems so difficult. Because that's, that's honestly a heart issue. So Jesus is telling us here, do not worry. He's giving us the command, do not worry. That's like sometimes I get frustrated when my, my children are crying. And I say to them, dry your tears. <laughs> Stop crying. Um, how do you just shut off your tears? <laughs> how do you just suddenly stop feeling what you're feeling? It's difficult. But Jesus is giving us the command here to do not worry. It's the imperative. And this is hard. Because worrying is a matter of the heart. It's internal. So Jesus tells his disciples to take a look around. And this is a very familiar passage. He says, look around. Look at the flowers. They are so temporary, and yet God made them so beautiful. If he takes care of them, don't you think he's going to take care of you? Every flower that we see is there to teach us. Every flower, every blade of grass is a testimony of God's loving providence of his care to us. We don't need to worry because the truth is that God is going to provide for our needs. The question is, do we believe it? Do we believe it? You know, worry is a result of the fall. Before the fall, we literally had nothing to worry about. Nothing. But sin has created this sense of anxiety in us because with sin comes unbelief. And that is the root of the issue. It's unbelief. Jesus says in in verse 28 of our passage, He says, But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow thrown in the oven, how much more will He clothe you, O you of little Isn't that the issue? Where is our faith? Where is our faith? Philip Ryken in his uh, commentary on this passage says, When we worry, we deny God's promise that He will give us whatever we truly need. We deny His wisdom, not trusting that He fully appreciates the difficulty of our situation. We deny His goodness, not believing that He has our best interest at heart. We deny His sovereignty, not waiting for Him to provide what we need in His own good time. Our anxiety is a direct attack on the Godness of God as it relates to the needs of our daily lives. This means that the remedy for all of our fearful worries is more faith 
in our faithful God. The remedy is more faith. It's more faith. Romans 8, 28, verse 32 says this. It says, And we know that for those who, got, who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The only way that we are able to obey Jesus' command not to worry is when we replace our anxiety with faith in Christ. In reality, worry is believing the lie. It's, it's asking these questions, can God really take care of me? Will He really provide? Is He powerful enough? Does He really care? And Satan plants these in our hearts and we worry when we begin to believe them. But in order to really cast aside our worry and anxiety, we need to cling to faith in the truth of the gospel. Like it says in Psalm 8, that God is a majestic God who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. We are not alone. As it says in John 3.16, that God does love us. In fact, He loved the world so much that He gave His Son for us. And as it says in Revelations 21.5, that He is making all things new. The hope that we have from the gospel helps to free us from all the worry and the anxiety that this world can give us. So, because our loving and our caring God created life to be about Him and not about us, we should seek first His kingdom and trust God to provide what we need. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be anxious. God is in control, and as we said last week, He cares. He cares about you. So cast aside all worries. Cast aside all, worry, all worldly cares and concerns, and seek first the kingdom of God, which is the real treasure that will never perish, spoil, or fade. Amen. And let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we read these difficult words in your word, I pray that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to cast aside our worry and our anxiety. Help us to cast aside our greed. Help us to hold the things that you have given us with open hands. And in these times of worry and anxiety, of greed, I pray that you would plant in us the seeds of gospel truth. That we would know that you love us, that you care for us, that you have sent your son Jesus Christ to die for us, and in him we have everything that we need.
Lord, we pray for your help by the power of your Holy Spirit, because we cannot do this on our own. And we pray this in Jesus' name.